0: Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're talking about the Netflix documentary series, limited one of Fear City, the mob.
1: Fear City is so true. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, just the way it starts, holy moly. I can't even imagine living in New York City in the 70s.
1: This is what I'm saying. I think I grew up in a time where New York City was sort of considered a very scary place. Like it Fear right? City is the most apropos title I've ever heard in my life for anybody who grew up in the time frame of the 70s, 80s and then maybe early 90s before everything sort of changed. And I remember thinking, "Ooh, New York City, that's scary." But I went there as a kid with my parents, but we stayed on certain streets in certain areas and there were really? certain things, right? Like, yeah. and we went with work,
0: uh-huh. not my work. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you weren't working at eight? Yeah. Right. Um, but we went with my dad's work. And so it was on a little ritzier end, right? Yeah. We were there for certain things. And I mean, I, this is me being a spoiled brat. <laughs> okay. Okay. We got to see multiple shows on Broadway. I saw Phantom of the Opera with Michael Crawford on Broadway. Wow. And I remember being like in line to sort of find our seats. And this guy who was probably younger than I am now, but definitely older, like in his thirties, turns around and says, Oh, must be nice if I waited 30 years to see Broadway, but here you are. I remember giving him this look and mumbling to myself just you wait. I got talent. I'll be on that stage one day. Oh. And I didn't say it because <laughs> I wasn't that bold. Uh-huh. But in my head, I was saying it, and I'm pretty sure my eye said it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, and life took you a different way, but... Man, there's an alternate universe somewhere where Jackie's singing on Broadway. (laughs) You know what, though? I have
1: sung and danced and done stage shows. And so it definitely was an inspiration.
0: Yeah, super cool. I remember my parents never wanted to go. My dad grew up in New Jersey, and he didn't want to go back to New York. Wow. He didn't. He was a little afraid. He didn't want to go. He knew how bad it had gotten. It wasn't like that when he was a kid you know, in the like 40s and 50s, when he lived there, it wasn't quite that way. And he knew how bad it had gotten. And he didn't want to go back. And then my husband and I went to New York in 2002. And my parents tried to warn us about how like, oh, the people are mean, and you're used to
1: Texas (laughs) people
0: where everybody's nice. (laughs) Because we are we're just friendly. We got there, man, we met the most helpful people. When we obviously looked lost, people would help us. We were on the subway. We accidentally went all the way to the Bronx. (laughs) (laughs) And there was this very, very nice lady who said, okay, don't get off at the next one because you'll have to pay to get back on the train. Oh, that's
1: nice of her. Wait
0: two stops and then you can go under and you won't have to pay to get on the train again. And that one's safer anyway.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. It it really is such a delightful city. I really mm -hmm. do enjoy it. And in the 2000s, for sure, it was a really fun place to be.
0: But uh, yeah, in the 70s, not so much. And we're going to talk all about that in the first episode. This limited documentary series premiered in July of 2020 on Netflix It has interviews with both former mafia associates and FBI agents who investigated them primarily in the 1980s, some in the 70s, some in the 90s, mostly 80s. 80s. That's where most of this is happening, which is weird to me to think that, like, I was alive for all of this and just utterly oblivious. (laughs) I mean, it's true but rude. i mean we weren't
1: oblivious because our, like you said our parents did warn us and we knew that it wasn't a super safe place to be right in the 80s
0: right but i didn't know it was anything like this
1: <laughs> well it's this like, definitely sheds a light on the underbelly mm-hmm. of why things were they were
0: that's for sure uh, most people appear as themselves I couldn't find a lot of credits for the reenactments. But the reenactments they do have aren't verbalized. They're all underneath the interviews. So the audio that you hear is the interviews of people talking about what's happening. And they've kind of made those reenactments fit underneath their interviews, which I thought was really great. Though I kind of, if they'd gone for a comedic twist on it, I would have really kind of loved a drunk history style reenactments where they like, mouth the words of the people. That would have been kind of funny. I know it's not a funny. It's not a a funny show. It's very serious. There's a little, like, humor in it. These guys don't take themselves super seriously. I mean, they do, but not, like, completely. They can laugh at themselves.
1: They definitely have a perspective. I think that gives them a lot of space for the humor to kind of come in. But Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think even then, they sort of understood what they were up against. They understood it was serious, but they kind of love their jobs. I mean, they really are geeky about their jobs. And when they talk about, like, certain certain agents with their certain set of skills sort of thing they Mm -hmm. get they get that it's funny but I laughed so hard because when they would interview these mob guys the fam like people who were involved with the five families and they would drop words like this wise guy over here and I just Mm -hmm. couldn't I just lost it but so I found it funny even though it wasn't really funny (laughs)
0: Well, I found it funny and it was also I didn't realize they actually used that kind of terminology. <laughs> I said like I kind of so thought it was for the movies. I didn't do.
1: I really I had to hit pause because I was like, <laughs> Really? Are we really saying these words? And he is not saying them ironically. No, not at all. <laughs> that's why I was so surprised. It really made the whole thing delightful though.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. It was very fun. All right. So we're going to do things a little different this time. Normally I spend time recapping, telling you all the interesting, all the little bit parts of things I'm going to be talking about. And you had a very nice suggestion. And it's a challenge for me that I intend to smash today.
1: I can't wait. I was I mean, it was kind of like a harebrained idea, I felt, but I pitched it anyways. And I'm so excited because you're going to do it. And I'm really happy about it
0: this is the perfect one to start on we're gonna do a five minute recap super fast (laughs) i'm gonna give you the gist and that's it all right i can't wait to hear this okay go for it okay episode one mob rule it starts with an audio recording of phone calls of mobsters and it has this title card 1970s nyc a lawless city plagued by drugs violence and murder so and then they proceed to tell us how awful it was in new york at in the 1970s and that it was primarily the fault of the mafia who profited off of their illicit activities to the tune of 60 to 100 billion dollars a year so much money so we hear from former mob members about what it was like to rule in New York City and what some of their schemes were. And then we hear from FBI agents and how frustrated they were at trying to catch these almost untouchable groups. So there were five families ruling New York City, Bonano, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchese. And then they had it really structured really well to protect the leaders. So there was a boss, an underboss. What a creative name. (laughs) An underboss.
1: An underboss. I thought it was lieutenant, but I was wrong.
0: Yeah. That's (laughs) right. Then there were captains maybe that's where lieutenant came from and that they had different names in each family the captains did and then soldiers is what they were refer, were referred to as the the grunt workers basically so law enforcement was pretty either ineffective or corrupt so some young people created a group called the guardian angels and they started out protecting the subway 13 kids out trying to protect the whole subway and make it safer. Bless their hearts. So in March of 1979, Professor G. Robert Blakely, who was a professor at Cornell, held a seminar at that university to inform and instruct the FBI agents in the use of the racketeer influenced and corrupt Organizations Act, which he had helped write in 1970. We call it RICO. So the FBI set up task forces for each of the five families, but the code of silence had protected these organizations for over a hundred years, and that really meant that they needed to start using uh, bugs to listen to the members' electronic surveillance devices. So They kind of walk us through how they made that all possible, both with warrants, and then very interestingly, how they were able to covertly plant these electronic surveillance devices. It's a story, man. And this really allowed the FBI to learn how the families interacted within their ranks and with one another, which I don't think that they really realized how much they interacted with one another until they got these bugs in how deeply they were involved in labor unions, which came as a shock and just how much control they had over, not just New York, but the country as a whole, as a whole, as a whole. And that's where the first episode ends. <gasps> Amazing. Look at me like four minutes, man. I have a minute, I have a minute left. That's, awesome and it was a good
1: recap like thank you that, very
0: much if you didn't watch
1: this show you've got to go watch it it's but super fun this should tell you everything you need to know to keep listening and enjoying our conversation because That's right. um there are some really interesting things to talk about and like dive down a rabbit hole
0: with oh yes i really like this i know you really liked this let's talk about who liked it and who didn't like it okay Roger Ebert's website is still kept up. So they have reviews of new stuff on there. But I thought it was really fun because they did a review of Pure City back in July of 2020. And the guy who runs it, I think he mostly runs RogerEbert.com. And he wrote this review. And his name is Brian Tallarico. T-A-L-L-E-R-I-C-O. And I'm like, whoa, Rico. Just like the So he really liked it. I thought he had a nice observation about how it's kind of formatted like a procedural A little bit. And Interesting. I, I hadn't really made that connection, but I'm like, ooh, that's why it like works. Now that he says that, uh-huh. that makes total sense. Right. Yeah.
1: All it was missing was the boom boom.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. Exactly. So he felt like it was really elevated by the interviews that they did, particularly with the FBI agents, that they were charming, they were informative, that they cut it together really well. I agreed with this a lot. He said that it could have been really extremely dry material about all the wiretaps, but they kept enough of the human element in it to keep it interesting which I thought I was fascinated by all of that stuff. I thought it was great.
1: That was probably my second favorite part, a second yeah. only to listening to them use things like wise guy unironically. ironically, <laughs> yes. but I really did enjoy them talking about how they had to work the technology and how they had to go quote, undercover a little bit and look for those opportunities to sort of sneak in and get it done. And then I totally geeked out on the old
0: technology. Yes. I thought it was amazing.
1: I couldn't believe they had to go put a bug actually like in the phone. And that that not only did they put a bug like literally in the phone, which I recognize that they had to do back in the day, but they got in there because there was a problem with the phone lines. And then yeah. the phone line people, like the the company people, come in and is messing with the actual phone, not right. the line. And I'm thinking none of them have any any geekiness or understanding because if I'm the head of whole ha- household, I'm like, what are you doing touching my phone?
0: Oh no, no, there there were you used to have to rent the phone from the phone company. I mean, this blows my mind. It could literally be a problem with the phone that wouldn't have been out of character
1: see and I was like I don't understand this at all like how is this happening I'm how are they getting away with this
0: barely old enough to remember having somebody from the phone company come in and the first thing they looked at was the phone oh my Because gosh. it was the easiest thing for them to replace if you had an issue I mean I just can't even and it was the most likely culprit. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. See, and I guess maybe you're just old enough, but also I've lived in a very techie family, so it's very likely that we just,
0: I don't know. Okay, so the only bone I had to pick with old Brian at Roger Ebert's review was that he was talking about the closeness that the FBI agents felt with these mobsters because they listened in on all their conversations. Yeah. And he said... He even sent him a get well card when he was sick, and I'm like, no, 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 no. They didn't. He didn't send him a get well card because he felt bad for him. He was screwing with him. He was screwing he was with him. Messing with his head. I think they even said that. I feel yeah. like he
1: even said that, like that he liked to mess with him and send yeah. him these cards, and then they would get him and go, "How did he
0: know this?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: he he missed the boat on that one because yeah. Absolutely, it was a matter of psyops. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but though I love the innocence to be like, (laughs) hey, they're cool. They really liked one another, even if they were on opposite sides. No, 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 no. All right, so you know who didn't like it, Alyssa Wilkinson of Vox. Really? Yeah. How Netflix's new mafia documentary failed. Fear City takes everything at face value, and the results are tedious and vapid. What? (laughs) So some of her criticisms, I will admit, are fair. Okay. And some of them I don't agree with. All right, hit me.
1: Hit me. Because I I just feel like Vox, usually I am like... Usually I totally agree with.
0: Yes. Well, we tend to be a bit more on the feminist side as does Vox. Um, So part of their issue was political because Rudy Giuliani's in it. He's a different sort of character in the 1970s and eighties, New York city, even in nineties and early two thousands, New York Uh city than he is now. And they basically hardly mentioned Donald Trump at all, which it's salient in 2020. And I see why they didn't want to go there because they didn't want to make this a commentary on that presidency. But they said he really probably was a relevant character in this they they say it at the beginning of the third episode which we're not covering and I actually haven't seen yet that if you were in real estate in New York in the 1980s you had to deal with the mob and that was just it and they didn't talk about how Donald Trump dealt with the mob at all and what that means so i can see why they didn't do it i can see why they're criticizing that aspect of it. But I can see why the filmmakers made a choice not to.
1: I can too. I have to say, I, I really do empathize with, with the criticism, but I also agree that if you talk about Donald Trump in this time, and now that he's been president at all, you now put your, your whole story of the mob in that time frame, in a different context and you tie right. it up with it and it'll never be a different story There's a hundred rabbit holes to go down. I mean, it's not just Donald Trump. There's a hundred rabbit holes you could go down like that would be very interesting about other people we well know from New York City. It wasn't just Donald Trump.
0: And honestly,
1: Donald Trump has uh, lawsuits and there's all sorts of things pending pertaining to stuff coming out of that era right
0: now. Right, exactly. Which is another reason maybe not to include it because those are active lawsuits at the moment. They can't really wrap it up in three episodes no they they really can bring him into it i also don't want to get
1: sidelined by the story of donald trump when i'm really trying to learn about these five families and how that works because that is huge and i have to tell you Mm -hmm. seeing giuliani talking about the old days and seeing him talk about who he was then i was like what uh tragedy to see somebody yeah. who had such potential and, and did so many actual good things and had such a good head on their shoulders, just be overcome and overwhelmed and decimated by the shadow of Donald Trump and whatever the heck he has on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I see why they did it. I see why the Vox article is hitting that particular spot. I, uh... I can see why they didn't do it. Me too. Me too. So, and she also questions, was Rico as unambiguously good as the series makes it seem? And I would say, you know, probably not. It's probably not perfect. No law is perfect. No law is perfect. Even if the law is perfect, the people implementing it often have an agenda.
1: Right. I mean, unambiguously perfect. I mean, come on. I know, but it was a lifesaver to these detectives who couldn't figure out how to take down this massive network. Right.
0: For a hundred years, they couldn't do it. And they finally had the tools to be able to do it. Right. So she says she's not, I'm not here to quibble with fear city on the level of facts or even politics. What struck me is how bad it is as a documentary, which is where I start uh, maybe not agreeing so much. She thought it was a boring choice to tell it from the view of FBI agents, which I don't agree as somebody who enjoys procedurals. And I would guess she probably is not one of them. Probably not. Probably not. I love me some suits. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Th- this is a fair criticism. She said that New York was legitimately in pretty rough shape in the 1970s. And that's totally fair. But they made it really sound like it was all caused by the mob. And it ignored any other factors that might have contributed to that. So you've got Vietnam's ending, we have oil crisis, there's uh, all kinds of stuff with Nixon, you know, I mean, there's a lot of political and social upheaval in the 70s that had little or nothing to do with the mob. Now, certainly, the mafia definitely caused a lot of issues in New York City, but it kind of ignores that there might have been other things going on.
1: I have to think about how to respond to that because I hear what she's saying. But in this case, I think there... I think they're arguing in the documentary pretty well that because of the control that the mob had over labor and building and all sorts of city services down to the trash services, right. it, it really was a chokehold on any respectable and normal progress that could have been made by individuals who were kept down in poverty or kept down in oppression because of this big net. It's like, okay. Okay. So a school of fish is in a, is in a net and a shark comes by. Is it the net or the shark that puts the fish at risk? Okay. You could say one or the other, but at least this fish could swim away and have a fighting chance if it wasn't for the net. And the mob was a net around New York city's neck Mm. and had people had real jobs and been, and been doing free market the way it was supposed to be doing free market and had politicians not been bought and all of that for money from the top to the bottom, then maybe social unrest, certain sort of political processes, growth in social equality and racial equality and reconciliation, all of these things can be acted upon. This is a Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You couldn't get to this top level without you know, dealing with the streets and the streets right. were mob controlled. So I, mm. I hear what she's saying about not mentioning the other factors, but I think this is a scope issue. This documentary was just not in the scope of how this helped or hindered other situations. But I think they make That's a fair. really good argument about its well, foundational situation.
0: Yeah. The mob certainly didn't make any of those situations better.
1: <laughs> What's
0: okay. Can I, can I admit something? Can I be like
1: confessional? Yeah. What's really sad is some of the most beautiful buildings and things of that sort were all oh. built because of the mob and the mob money I know. and the contractors they chose. And I was like, first of all, why couldn't they have just been legit business people? Because uh, they could have just made a lot of money doing it legit. And then maybe even made yeah. more. And second the beautiful of all, our
0: deco buildings. Yes. Just these like buildings
1: are gorgeous. And you're like, <laughs> well, I don't know. Do we have to tear those down? Because no. <laughs> I don't know. Like,
0: No, we don't have to tear them down. We don't have to tear them down, but it's kind of hard. It puts a little bit of stain. But it's good to understand the behind the scenes of all that stuff.
1: It's, yeah, it's super. Because a lot of good people worked on those buildings. Right. Might have been mob controlled, but the people who really had the artistic design and all of that, they were in it because they were talented. Right. It just sucks that they were so, like, hooked into this horrible thing going on. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Well, speaking of, you know, the people who worked on these buildings and stuff, she had another issue that they talked about the control that the mafia had over unions, but they didn't talk to any union members, they talked about uh, shakedown money for grocery stores and they didn't talk to any grocery store owners, the people who were actually affected. And I get that, you know, it's easier to go with the big names. But yeah. how nice would it have been to add one more episode to this and hear from the people in New York City at that time who were legitimately affected? That would have been nice. It would have. it would have, I agree there. It would have added to it. And she says, women don't seem to exist in this world at all, which is largely true yeah i would say that's a pretty accurate representation <laughs> you mean there wasn't female bosses yeah <laughs> of course and then not. She, no there wasn't and she didn't like how much time they spent on the bugging of the mafia which i really actually loved i thought it was amazing i thought it was I loved, great maybe i'm a bigger nerd than she is because i thought all of that was fascinating i did
1: too i loved it I, yeah. I loved it down to the story about them hanging the bug on the lamp, and then there was just an extra wire that they didn't really hide. And I was like, C, 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 cable management, people, cable management.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, we're going to take a real quick break, and we'll be right back with Is It True?
1: Scary stories aren't just for fiction novels. The most terrifying stories are the ones that actually happen. Nightmares brought to life. I woke up to a man standing with his hand over my mouth and I bit his fingers he tried I to lure sort of us deeper into the false tapping on my window thing was scratching her up the door and drag her into the woods. If you're fascinated by the morbid and sinister things this world is capable of, tune in to the Nightmare Society podcast. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast fix. New episodes every Thursday. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.
0: <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Now we have, is it true? So, I mean, really most of this is true. Now maybe you don't get exactly the whole story, but it's it's pretty true. Now maybe it's colored by decades of investigation and hindsight. But yes, overall, it's I mean, true. yeah, <laughs> it's true. So but we can talk about the RICO Act, oh, the Racketeer Influenced and Corruption Organizations Act. So basically what this did was it allowed the leaders to be tried for crimes that they ordered or assisted in. So When the boss ordered somebody be murdered, it was a soldier at the bottom of the rung who actually carried out the order or when they wanted a bank robbed or when they wanted a home invaded or whatever it was. It was the soldiers who carried these out. Now the police throughout the seventies were able to get the soldiers sometimes And put them in jail for a year or two, that did absolutely nothing to the organization, because there was always another soldier to take their place, just like in an actual army. Hence the term soldier. Yes, exactly. RICO allowed them to indict and convict the bosses, even though they didn't do the quote unquote wet work. (laughs)
1: yes and you know it's funny because i think a lot of people probably just take that for granted today and don't realize that not only did we have to actually make that a law but that it took so long for that to become a a common strategy in in, you know prosecuting crimes texas has some really interesting ones we've talked about it before Mm -hmm. we've talked about it before where you know if you're linked a certain way to a crime you can received the same, like, one of them received a death penalty. They weren't the ones right. who pulled the trigger. They weren't right. ordering it either. It was almost right. as if they were just an they accessory. They drove the car. But they drove yeah. the car. And so they were prosecuted in the same manner. And so I think people take it for granted now. But right. at this time, it was revolutionary to think, oh, finally, we can. Yeah,
0: I, we can go after the bosses. So what is racketeering activity? Yeah, let's, let's define that. Uh, well, it can be almost anything. Allow me to read you the list from the Wikipedia page. This is, this is the abridged list. You're, just, you know, get comfortable a second. Gambling, murder, kidnapping, extortion, arson, robbery, bribery, dealing in obscene matter, dealing in a controlled substance, counterfeiting, theft, embezzlement, fraud, obstruction of justice, slavery, racketeering, which I'm like, that's what all this stuff is. Okay. Money laundering, murder for hire, embezzlement of union funds, bankruptcy or securities fraud, drug trafficking, Criminal copyright infringement, bringing in or aiding people in illegally entering the country, but only if that is for financial gain. So, like if you're helping somebody across the border and they have to pay you a bunch of money,
1: okay, then it's criminal. Like the coyotes and things. Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: And acts of terrorism. So pretty much everything. Anything. Anything? Yeah, but it really becomes racketeering when you do a pattern of these things and that's two of these activities within a period of 10 years, two or more
1: within a period
0: of 10 years. So it's you have to have a pattern for this sort of behavior. Okay. So there's some famous cases, things like Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club and the Latin Kings RICO offenses is how they typically get these people. Those make sense. Then there's some surprising ones. Oh. Uh, Key West, Florida Police Department. There were several high-ranking officers and the deputy police chief who were brought up on federal charges of a protection racket for cocaine smugglers. That's interesting. I'm
1: trying to wrap my brain around that. Hold on. Yeah,
0: they were providing protection For the drug dealers.
1: Right. So, I mean, that's a...
0: They were protecting them from other drug dealers and from other police officers.
1: And this is why this is basically the statute for organized crime. Right. Because it would be very easy to just think of this as, okay, but really we're just going after the people who are making the decisions, not just the soldiers. But really this is about when you're in an organization and you hold a role and that final goal is criminal you're you're in for it.
0: Yes, exactly. Eureka, exactly. <laughs> okay, this one. Oh, you'll be surprised if you don't. Maybe you already know about this, but I. If you don't, you'll be surprised because I was yeah. surprised. Um, Major League Baseball in two thousand one. Uh. Oh, she knows she's a Braves fan <laughs> and she's looking <laughs> sad about this though. It didn't really have anything to do with it. They were trying to uh, devalue teams in preparation for a move and the case went on for two years. It went on to arbitration. It eventually ruled in favor of major league baseball, yeah. but still it was suspicious enough. They were able to bring it up on charges and
1: I mean, basically, it's the movie Major League, but whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's been a lot of interesting things with sports overall.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Like FIFA? Yeah. Yeah. In 2015, there was a big corruption case with FIFA, and the defendants had allegedly used the organization as a front to collect millions of dollars in bribes. And so I was like, well, what happened to these people? That was like years ago. Most of them took pleas that made them guilty, but they took a plea in order to just be able to pay a fine and avoid prison entirely.
1: Interesting.
0: Still corrupt.
1: Well, there's a whole school of thought that
0: plea deals are corrupt in general. Well, that's fair in a lot of ways because there are a lot of.
1: Last episode, man, we talked about this with Eileen and her her partner and how the partner got freaking immunity. Yes. Anyway. When
0: she knew. Yeah, she was. Anyway, I'm going to reserve (laughs) any comments because she is litigious. She's litigious. And I don't have any money to have anybody be litigious against me. Nope. None. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So they mentioned that CNN was relatively new and that Paul Castellano very much liked CNN. It's so funny. It was indeed founded in 1980. And it was indeed relatively easy to mess with your cable connection in order to create interference, which allowed them to have entrance into the mob boss's home. That was pretty awesome. It was so funny when he had the the henchman who was there and let him in to hold the hold the flashlight. I get, is there anything we can do to get you out of here faster? Hold this flashlight while I install a bug. <laughs> it was awesome. Because they had was- no
1: idea. They could not they couldn't even fathom that that, that might be happening Mm-mm. because they felt so invincible. But also, right. they just didn't have the tech know how to realize that what they're messing with was anyway. No, if
0: very if funny. Paul Castellano had been there, maybe he might he might have been more suspicious because he seemed a little more. He read the Wall Street Journal and was pretty business and tech savvy, but it, hence he had the latest gadgets and cable and yeah he had all you of know the stuff had all of the fun stuff and yeah so he might have been more suspicious but this guy wasn't nope nope a- psychology break so why did these people do it why why did they do all this well the best i could come up with was narcissism greed and power yeah that'd be about right <laughs> that's that's about what I came up with. So Joseph Burgo had an article in Psychology Today where he's talking about it. And he says there's like two main things that define narcissism, which is no ability to empathize with other people and an inflated self of sense of self-importance. So I was like, yes. And then he goes on to talk about how we're kind of in this new gilded age of income inequality in the US, which is fair. A lot of what Bernie Sanders or who was the guy who wanted UBI? Andrew Yang. Yes, that's exactly who it was. The Yang gang. Yes. It's just kind of what they've been talking about. So this might be something people are familiar with. So is there a connector with narcissism and gr- and greed? Well, Uh, Dr. Burgo seems to think so. He calls them extreme narcissists and that they fall just short of the diagnostic threshold for narcissistic personality disorder. That's, I think, very much who the particularly the higher ups within the mob were, is they saw the world in very binary terms, winners and losers. And they really, really want to be winners. They need to triumph over other people, whether that's winning the contract or beating the police, get it, or escaping the police, and that they tend to resent and envy anybody who has more power or wealth than they do. And I'm like, that seems to fit. They always want more. There's never enough. You don't need $100 billion for 2,000 people to be wealthy.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, there's definitely a narcissism element to all of the people, including the soldiers who... Want to rise in the ranks and be noticed. They want to
0: become captains. Every single one of those soldiers is dreaming of being a mob boss,
1: right? But it's also kind of interesting because it's a very insulated world. I That's mean, fair. sure. I guess my question would be, what were the first mob bosses like? And I think that narcissism or almost a psychopath sort of, you know, terminology would really fit. But for generations below. Hmm. I'm not so sure that the same diagnosis applies because they are raised in a world that is so totally different. And it takes a lot to get out of it. Even if you watch reality TV show like um, Growing Up Gotti and things like Mm -hmm. that, you can see that in them. And yet they kind of started to break away from being so in line with that world, right? And, And you can start to see that there is there is a potential for empathy, you know, um, as a family, even as individuals. And so when you're talking about like narcissism, that's an individual thing. But right. you can't talk about the mob that
0: way. That's a okay. whole world. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And they did, now that you say that, they did really appreciate that what the FBI agents were doing. They're just doing their job. Our job right. is to beat them. Their Our job is to not get caught.
1: Yeah, I mean they didn't hate the FBI agents. There was no personal vendetta against most of them. They would have uh, you know, burned them immediately.
0: Yeah, but oh, they'd have killed them in a heartbeat but... In a
1: heartbeat, but I there wasn't a uh, lack of empathy for the fact that mm. they were just doing their job. So as a whole, they have a lack of empathy and, and a narcissism because they don't really quite understand that they're not as grandiose as they think they are, except they did right. run New York City, right? So I don't know how you can how we talk about the individuals and who they were in that microcosm individually, I bet I would have really liked
0: a lot of those people. Oh, yeah. They were probably really fun at parties. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm sure of it. I'm sure they played piano and sang, and there was all kinds of fun to be had, you mm-hmm. know? And um, it, that made, that's that's, to me, what makes it so weird, because I think what we have to realize is that there's a generational effect, and this is that nature versus nurture. If you grow up like that, being told this is your world,
0: how do you break out of that this is how you get ahead in the world yeah yeah and you've not really given any other options
1: so what i thought was very interesting was the psychology of their slang i mean okay i've already mentioned how in stitches i was about them using all of these words and everything that are just totally godfather right but i was really interested in okay but how does that make them such a community they have their own dialect Hmm. nobody talks like this except for them you know what i mean right. and so i had to look it up and like yeah there's a whole glossary of terminology and i can't <gasps> i can't even pronounce most of it um, um <laughs>
0: that's Baba, it's part italian yes
1: uh babania was as heroin as in dealing it uh um, oh. Babo is a dope an idiot um let me scroll down this really really long list uh a capo is a ranking member of a family who heads a crew.
0: Yeah, they were like the captains.
1: They're like a captain. It's short for other things. And maybe skipper is another one. And it's actually short for an even longer word. Um Capo okay. de uh Capodicina. Capodicina. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Italian. Yes. Right.
1: Of course we know some of them just because we watch enough TV and there's enough procedurals out there that use this, right? But to clip, right, is to murder. Clock mm-hmm. to keep track of someone's movements. Oh, but it goes it goes way further. An empty suit is somebody who hangs around with nothing to offer. Um, Ooh, yep. Of course, we know what fence means. Someone with a worldwide mm-hmm. outlets to liquidate swag. If you haven't watched mm-hmm. White Collar, okay, that show is so great. It's all about yeah. fencing. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just so many words, and I thought. That's so weird because there's such a psychology behind that, behind slang and behind all of this terminology. And it kind of binds them together.
0: Yeah, it kind of defines who's in their in-group and who's not. Yeah. And I mean, that was a challenge for the FBI agents is trying to decipher. They said they were talking in code, basically, that they didn't understand. And I bet those mobsters didn't even realize when they were on the phone that their terminology was so confusing or would be so confusing to anybody trying to listen in, because that's just the vernacular that they had within their group.
1: Exactly. It made it like a code and it's just so very interesting. And it is a, it is derived a lot from the Italian language. And if what's really Mm -hmm. interesting is then to see how they talk about Sicilians. (laughs) Cause that's a whole beef y'all. That's a whole beef. Beef is also listed on that list.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: <laughs> so it's just very interesting to me to see the, the psychology of, of their language and how they talked and how it's seeped into this mainstream media as movies and art has kind of used it. And then it's become kind of normal. But I'm still never going to call anybody a wise guy unironically. No. <laughs> just not going to.
0: Well, it's just so interesting how how much it seeped in and how it sounds ridiculous to us now when they use the language that they, for all practical purposes, invented. It now sounds ridiculous to us because we associate that with pop culture, whereas they associate it with their group culture. Exactly. Exactly. It's oh, very it's fun. So interesting. It's interesting. So interesting. So real life. Real life. A few people that we'd like to uh, learn a little bit more about. Michael Franzese quit the mob and has really kind of made an entire career about it. But you mentioned people born into it. Yeah. And his dad was part of the mafia. So he grew up in this culture and he was kind of pulling away from it. He went to uh, Hofstra University to try and study pre-med. He wanted to be a doctor. Interesting. He was like not going to follow in the family footsteps. And then his uh, dad went to prison. Oh. And his mom needed help with money. And so So he dropped out of school and became a member of the Colombo crime family. Years later... He met a woman on the set of a movie he was producing and found some faith and decided to basically turn himself in. So he pled guilty to racketeering charges. He paid a $15 million fine to the government, spent 10 years in prison. I can't even, hold on, $15 million fine. Wow. Wow. The, the, actually the FIFA stuff makes that look like peanuts, but yeah.
1: I mean, I guess I get that, but I still just, it still blows me out of the water when I hear these, these numbers.
0: I know. I mean, I can't even like 15, if I had $15 million paying fines, I would not be doing illegal things. No, I, mean, I would just be like enjoying my money
1: I mean, on right? beach. I mean, yeah. Did I not just look at Amazon because I needed a new shirt and decide between, I don't know, like 1999? I don't know. Uh Uh-huh. That 20 bucks. Are we
0: sure? Uh Uh-huh. And they're dropping
1: $15 million fines. Are
0: you kidding me? I know. It's bananas. He spent 10 years in prison, but they put out a hit on him. Uh And I don't know how he survived prison, but he did. He survived prison, and then he moved to California and basically did nothing for quite a long time to, like, didn't have utilities in his name. Probably like, pretty smart. Didn't, didn't take his dog on a walk. And if he did go on a walk, it certainly wasn't two days in a row, and it was never the same route.
1: So that they couldn't clock him.
0: Yes, exactly. So, but now... He's a uh, lecturer, motivational speaker, has written six books, offers coaching and business leadership and life skills. His father, the one that he dropped out of college to support his mom when his dad went to prison, he was involved in the mafia until his 90s. Wow. He was sent to prison in his 90s. Got out when he was 100 years old. (laughs) He just died in February of 2020 at the age of 103. Wow. I mean. And he was active for so long. So how did the son
1: finally get free enough that now he can be public?
0: I don't. I think the, the mafia is not nearly as powerful as it once was. And I think maybe he became a big enough name that him disappearing
1: would be a problem,
0: would be a problem. You go
1: from incognito to totally public
0: and then ding, ding, ding. That's how that's how you survive a mob hit is you hide from them until the point where you make yourself so famous that them killing you would bring too much heat. Now that's a good strategy. Yeah. Not not bad. So there was uh, Curtis Silva in the documentary. He was getting the haircut at the beginning, and he's the guy who founded the Guardian Angels. Oh, yeah, the group. Yeah, the group of started out as thirteen kids who uh, were trying to make the subways safer. And he's really pretty much dedicated his life to this. He founded the organization in 1979 as a nonprofit. And now there's chapters throughout the US and worldwide. They're all over. They just try and help people to get out of bad situations, support themselves, not rely on uh, anybody for help, no government assistance. That's a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He's got a whole website. If you're interested, of course I will link to that on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, killer fun podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at killer fun pod, or you can send me an email at killer at gmail.com. And I'll shoot you a link right back. Then we have some FBI agents. Then we have some FBI agents. So there was uh, Jim Kostler who was the coordinating supervisor for the organized crime unit in New York City during this whole time. He's the one who was so excited to learn about RICO. He didn't want to go, didn't want to go to the cornell and spend a week away from his family when it just seemed like a big fat waste of time and uh then he said it was an epiphany
1: yes this is where the modern detective was born agreed
0: right he's retired and still lives in new york city area and still maintains a good reputation here's somebody who uh ha- had more of a struggle maintaining their reputation lynn de <laughs> Who was really like a delightful interview. And he was pretty much in charge of managing the mob informants for the FBI. And this is where the issue comes in. So he was in charge of handling Gregory Scarpa, who's not mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. at least not in the first episode of the documentary. And he worked for Colombo family, um, and he'd been an informant since the 1960s. DeVecchio is believed to be the first FBI agent accused of helping a mobster commit crimes and then cover them up. They did a two-year investigation, and they didn't end up actually pressing any charges against him, but his reputation was sullied and he kind of was forced to retire in 1996. In 2006, the Brooklyn district attorney indicted DeVecchio on charges that he'd helped Scarpa kill four people in the eighties and early nineties because he'd supplied confidential FBI information to Scarpa about them. Oh, my gosh. So it's kind of Rico coming back to bite him in the behind. Yeah. <laughs> because he didn't do the wet work. But
1: very interesting.
0: But they ended up being forced to drop all the charges because there had been an interview in the Village Voice about like in 1997 or so when he had when the guy they had interviewed said that DiVecchio had nothing to do with that. And of course, Devecchio wrote a book.
1: That was smart. Because that's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's hard. I can't imagine the pressures of being somebody in charge of informants because I think there's a probably, how do I say this? Without sounding like I'm empathizing with the wrong side or something. um, Okay. Um, (laughs) I think there's likely a lot of judgment calls, a lot of discernments as a front line net to the whole scenario that you as a as a beat cop in charge of this you have to kind of decide what information is more important than something else and kind of decide okay what's our lane and where are we staying in it and then I've got to move forward and there's probably enough times where you had to turn a blind eye and it's completely justified if not still horrendous and then eventually those lines start to blur.
0: Right. Well, I mean, you have to make it worth their while. You kind of To do. be your informant. So whether that's a lot of money or immunity from crimes. Or just not turning
1: your attention toward something. Right.
0: Yeah. Ignoring whatever they're doing or providing them information. You have to make it valuable for them. So I bet it was a real delicate Balance. Yeah.
1: It sounds like a dance. It sounds like a it dance. It really
0: does. Me. Gloria Olarte. Oh, oh. The Colombian live in maid <laughs> of Paul Castellano, whom he had an affair with. Uh, She's called the Yoko Ono of the mob. <laughs> I love it. Which is a late 70s, early 80s reference, if I've ever heard one. Oh, it's fabulous. I just love yes. it. She told the Washington Post that because of the language barrier that she had when she first started working for Paul, that he brought home this little micro-computer translator thing, which were totally hip in the 80s and 90s. My parents were super excited to get me a translator
1: Oh my that I could type
0: words into, and they, I don't know, they thought it was going to help me, and I just... Looked up dirty words. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, but it went from orders like make coffee, set the table, do laundry to you have pretty eyes and I like you. <laughs>
1: That's funny.
0: Yeah. Castellano was uh, brutally murdered in a street. And yeah, a couple days after he died, Gloria packed her bags, packed $18,000. I don't know how they found out that exact amount of money. But uh, the Cinemaholic is reporting it as $18,000 and a porcelain clown that Paul had gifted her. She packed those things up, and she went back to Colombia. And as far as anybody knows, she's still living with her mother Oh, and working as a secretary in a travel agency. Oh, how about that? In Colombia. Yep. She was like, "Mm, if Paul's not here, I'm done. Wow. I don't need to be here. (laughs) Well, that's probably smart. Yeah, it probably really was. So how do mobsters make money? Well, the a National Post article says uh, the short answer is any way they can. <laughs> That's a fair statement. <laughs> yeah. Their primary source of income is drugs. Now, people in the mob like to say that they don't have that much of an interest in drugs, that it's dirty and bad for people, and they don't like it. This article says they have three primary interests. Cocaine, cocaine, cocaine.
1: Well, yeah. I, I, You know, it's funny because in that little mafia terminology site, when I talked about the heroin, and it says heroin as in dealing, lucrative but risky for mob insiders. Because if they're busted, long prison terms might compel them to cut a deal and squeal.
0: And so, like, Mm -hmm. heroin
1: is kind of considered a... No, 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 we don't touch that. But see, cocaine... This is yeah. a high end sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, the people you're selling to, they're not junkies. They're not
1: junkies. Isn't
0: that weird? Yeah, probably the next closest would be gambling, which makes sense. Sports betting, which kind of goes along with gambling, but it's kind of got its own its own thing. Whole, yeah, its own whole organization. Loan sharking. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a more local level, Piso. Say what? Is Pizzo on your, Piso? Okay. Pizzo, P-I-Z-Z-O, is that on your little list? Wait,
1: let me look it up. Hold on. Yeah. Piso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's not on my list.
0: Oh. What is this? It's, it's, uh, protection money where they co- go into a business and they say, uh, it would be a shame if somebody burned your business down. Oh, yeah. That sounds
1: like, a uh, Extortion.
0: (laughs) It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, what Curtis Silva was talking about in the early part of the first episode when he's talking about working for his uncle at the butcher shop. Right. I'm pretty sure Piso was what they were negotiating. That makes sense, and that's this
1: is Mm -hmm. where, like, to the Vox articles credit to be able to hear from people who experience that sort of side of it. Cause this is where a lot of the capital came from for them to then run their big schemes, the right. billion dollar schemes.
0: Right. They needed seed money and they got it from the little guys. Mm-hmm. They built it into much larger money. Uh, they're increasingly involved in financial crimes. And they'd like to remind us that the mafia works by all the money flowing up. It's not a trickle down economic situation. The money goes up. It's they compared it to a feudal state where peasants pay the lords. It
1: sounds like a multi level marketing scheme to me. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. I mean, you have to admit when we have businesses who are modeling themselves after uh, bosses, under bosses, captains and soldiers, we got a
0: problem. Wow! I really had not made that connection. <laughs> I will not think of the MLMs as anything but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, jewelry, clothing, makeup selling mobs. Mobs. That's what they are. They're the mafia,
1: and they do. They. I mean, I mean to be fair, haven't you ever felt extorted even by an acquaintance oh, Who is yes, who kind come of to my party, who kind of like dangles their friendship, or dangles guilt in front of you, like, I just need to support my family. And you're like, now I'm the heathen, because if I don't buy something from you, I'm the one who doesn't support my friend's family. But this is about business. This is about you selling a product. Really, if you just need money, why don't you just ask?
0: <laughs> like, Right. Well, and the reason the products are so expensive is not because the products are really all that luxury. It's because you have to pay an upline,
1: you have to pay the upline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only a few companies who actually built actual representative based sales structures in a viable, very free market normal manner. And even those right still have incentive to the upline,
0: but less so. Right. And I would say a lot of those that were and I'm not going to name any of them. A lot of those that were less nefarious in the past. Maybe some makeup places. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: They're moving towards that more exploitative sort of system.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that recently because it used to be that some of those, if you had a certain level of quote unquote downline, you actually had more responsibilities for your region. You didn't just have a downline. You became someone who they then were like, okay, you're selling and you've brought this many people in. Now you're responsible for training, for all of these things. And you could actually make a salary directly from the company
0: at that point. Right. Exactly. Yes. It used to be that those companies would pay the people who'd proven themselves to be excellent salespeople to train. Mm-hmm the people who were going out and doing the actual selling. And it used to be that you could make a living just selling. You could just make a living just selling or like a
1: part-time living. And if you went full-time, you might then get promoted, literally promoted to a regional representative. Right.
0: All of them now, I would say almost without exception, push you to sign up people under you Mm -hmm. more than encouraging you to sell a superior product to your friends.
1: Yep, it's true. It's so sad because some of those if, brands were just great.
0: Yes. And they're they're if they're still great brands, the price has skyrocketed. Oh
1: my gosh. I just saw prices recently. Can I tell you? Uh-huh. I just saw them recently. Were you shocked?
0: I was Were you shocked? Shocked. Yeah. Shocked. Yeah. Yeah. You can go to Ulta
1: Okay, but literally you could go to Etsy. Like, okay, so <laughs> yeah. I had a makeup brand thing. And you know what? The person, totally delightful. Was it fun to hang out with friends on Zoom and do something? Absolutely. It was way fun. And the product the samples that I, I got in the mail, they are. They're absolutely wonderful. And um, I have, like, rosacea. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. very bad. And these were very, very soothing. But they were so expensive and I really was shocked at that because I was like I just I can't even so that said I have a little company on Etsy that I am absolutely in love with all of their products and they're always so helpful and I'm like awesome uh,
0: well I think the Etsy brand you can tell us we'll give them a free let's give them a free plug since they're not explaining anybody all right
1: Atlanta body culinary
0: awesome Atlanta, and I'll share that on our. yeah
1: we got to share that Atlanta body culinary they make skin moisturizing and other kind of things um in all for all sorts of people including rosacea and eczema like different those are different and so there's different um but they also have things like bug spray that is all natural that really works and they have shampoo that is amazing and awesome the best
0: super cool mm-hmm. I don't mind plugging a small business like
1: yeah that. let's do it yeah.
0: They mentioned a black bag operation. Ah, I love this. It's this my favorite part. <laughs> okay. So that's like a legitimate term. And it refers to clandestine entries into uh, a structure of some sort in order to get human intelligence, basically a bug. And this is basically breaking and entering. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So. So it was common for the FBI to do these black bag operations in order to gain information. They would basically just go snoop on somebody that they thought was doing bad things. Now they had a warrant. So, uh, well, before 1972, without a warrant. Ooh,
1: interesting.
0: Because the Supreme Court... Said that black bag jobs by the FBI were unconstitutional on June 19th, 1972. Without a warrant. So now they have to obtain warrants. Nice. And that's okay. why they had such a hard time getting the warrants on these mobsters. So once they had the warrants, then, you know, getting them actually into the homes, another issue. Yeah. <laughs> Cut their cable, mess with phone lines, have a fight mm -hmm. with a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so these homes, they weren't empty ever. There was always somebody home. It's like they're in quarantine. (laughs) There was always somebody there. (laughs) There's always somebody in my house. It's true. Always. Always. (laughs) Always. So uh, encyclopedia.com gives us a little information about bugs (laughs) and they're called bugs because they're tiny. I was trying to figure out why they were called bugs and it's because they're little and they go in places you can't see. Well, that makes sense. I
1: kind of always thought it was derived from like the cliche, a fly on the wall.
0: That makes sense. I don't know which came first, a fly on the wall or bugs. bugs. Uh -huh. huh?
1: Okay, listeners, you've got to, like, tell us. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're Googled out. You've got to go research this and tell us. Fly on the wall yeah. or bug? Which one came first?
0: <laughs> They're basically just listening devices that can be added and removed. They might be added to telephones. They might be added, uh, like, in the case where they put it in uh, Castellano's house, where they put it in the cable box. It was, just a, it was a microphone with a transmitter on it.
1: I think my favorite one was so the smart. car. That's my favorite. They put it in a car and it's like a whole deal. Is that not the I first think episode? I that was in the first episode. Oh, see, this is what I get for watching <laughs> the confused. whole thing.
0: She's, I'm trying to play it off like I know exactly no. what you're talking okay. about. okay. And I'm like... So we're covering
1: the first episode. All right. So in the, in the docuseries, as you go along, you see a whole nother black bag operation dealing with a car okay. and it is an absolute hoot. Awesome. You gotta watch it.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to watch that. Mm-hmm. When they have a, radio transmitter they can be found yes that makes them more detectable so once the mafia realize they're being bugged they're able to like do sweeps and find them but microphones are much harder to detect if you can hide them because they don't if they're hardwired to a surveillance system somewhere else they're basically impossible to find yeah you can't find them at all Yeah, you have plugs in the wall, you have lamps, they read the same as lamps. It seems like wiretapping should only go back, you know, a few decades, right?
1: I mean, it feels like it. I mean, I don't know if you can consider putting a bug in somebody's phone wiretapping.
0: Well, if you're going to go wiretapping, then uh, you have to go much further back. So April White of Smithsonian Magazine did an interview with... Brian Hockman, who is a professor of English and American Studies at Georgetown University. And he has done a bunch of research on electronic surveillance. And it predates the telephone by a long time.
1: Interesting.
0: So, the first person convicted of wiretapping was a stockbroker named DC Williams. In 1864. What were they tapping? He was doing like the corporate telegraph lines (gasps) and selling the information that he got from, you know, Morse code to stock traders. (laughs) He's basically doing insider trading. I'm like, that's awesome. That is so funny. He's like, I mean, he got convicted of it, but like... How smart was he to kind of think of that? I mean, really, people will find I mean, a way to be nefarious, won't Yes. They just will. <laughs> the law enforcement didn't use it until really the prohibition area. That's when they finally started getting this tool into use mm-hmm. on a regular sort of basis. Today, most of the wiretapping warrants are for criminal investigations and not national security ones. People are always worried, is the NSA listening to me? I mean, they have to have a warrant and mostly it's criminal, but that has a little bit of an issue too, because for a long time, you know, there's the war on drugs that tended to uh, target Black and Latino people more frequently because they could suspect them it tended to be a little racist
1: yeah it wasn't exactly a yeah a fair equal attack on the drugs and their impact uh, on no, the country no. the war on drugs well. was kind of a struggle but um but yeah i think people do forget that you have to have a warrant to listen but i do think people get mm-hmm. concerned because you know when when people talk about chatter you know, the thing yeah. is that so much of it is being recorded, even though it can't be going to listen to without the warrant.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I don't get the impression that Brian Hockman is a big fan of smart speakers. <laughs> yeah, I would guess that too. <laughs> yeah. He says they're essentially wiretaps. Yeah. They're constantly listening. It's like corporate surveillance And yeah, they listen to you, you can get the things that you want, you might get a better price on something that you want, you might find something unusual that you've been looking for, which is maybe, you know, not so nefarious, not perfect, but not ultimately all that harmful. But where does that data go? Mm -hmm. Who else has access to it? What are they recording? You don't know. You really don't know. All right. And that's all I have. Oh, which I think is plenty. I think it's plenty. (sighs) I mean, we didn't even watch the whole thing. We didn't
1: talk. I only went into episode two like once. Right. So we had plenty to talk about this series. We had plenty to talk
0: about. I skipped at least several (laughs) of my articles. I was like, we can just keep going. I will skip this. I will just post it on social media and it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, the mob is just so huge. I'm sure we'll talk about the mob again at some point. We may just have to
1: go in and do fear city too. Like the second episode. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh.
0: We may just have to do every Dagob episode. Okay. Well, we can, we can consider that. We might that. have to consider that. Ooh. but we can't do that next time. We can't do that next time though. No, because I haven't seen it, but you have i i found it suggested it to you you watched it and were like this is crazy we have to talk about this oh i'm sorry i can't use that word <laughs> this is wild <laughs> this is unexpected <laughs> i gotta use the right yes, terminology or else you you have yes. to put a
1: quarter in the jar thing okay
0: that's right uh, this and i'm doing better but yeah, yeah this that's the first time i've said it in a wild episode of all kinds of baffling stuff. You
1: know, I've I've I haven't used the word crazy as much as I used to. But mm-hmm. you know what I did is I just changed it out for another word.
0: Well, and that's fine <laughs> and that's what you should do. You really want you don't want to be the lazy and do the shorthand. You want to say what you're actually saying. It's shocking, it's wild, it's unusual, yeah. it's baffling usually, these are more descriptive words those are much than, better
1: words but usually i just say something like it's macadamia yeah <laughs> because it's nuts and nuts yeah. means crazy
0: and so i haven't yeah. I haven't done it's good job <laughs> it's that's all right see and i have i have less of an issue with it now y- there's a plenty of issue. I try to limit it in my vocabulary as much as possible, but I have less of an issue when it's referring to a situation than when it's referring to a person. So my husband Agreed. and I covered a protege artist on my other podcasts, the mountains and the sea. And, uh, I really fussed at him when he tried to call her crazy. I'm like, no, no, she's no. not crazy. She's wild. She's free. She's unexpected. You don't use the word crazy. She's not mentally ill. And even if she is mentally ill, that is not an indictment of her character. Right. Agreed.
1: Totally. And when you're talking about a situation, you're right. It's a little bit more balmy to just say that it's crazy.
0: But this movie,
1: that's macadamia.
0: Yeah. It's bananas. So we haven't even said what it (laughs) is. It's Tickled. A 2016 documentary, David Ferrier, covers weird stories but he gets much more than he anticipates when he tries to get more information about the world of competitive tickling. Yeah. We'll just let that competitive tickling. (laughs) We're just going to say competitive. Okay. Just watch it. Just
1: watch it. Just watch it. You've got to watch it. (laughs) You got to watch it. And then we got to see you next time. And and you got to watch it.
0: That's right. So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. You know, we know you make a choice when you listen to us. We don't just come on the radio. You know what you should do? You should absolutely tell a friend because it's way more fun when you listen with a friend. And then you can talk about how we fail at not saying the word crazy. <laughs> and you can talk about the mafia. And uh, you can tell us... uh how weird we are for wanting to cover the world of competitive tickling. <laughs> it's Macatavia, man. It's Macatavia. <laughs> ah.
1: Join us next time. We cannot wait. That's
0: right. Until then, be safe, be kind, and wash your hands. Bum, bum, bum,